0: Again, thank you for downloading this sermon. I pray it will enrich your walk with Christ. May God bless you, and we look forward to welcoming you and your family to the Chapel of the Cross. Then Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. I speak to you in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I remember my confession of faith. I remember it like it was yesterday. I was about ten years old. I stood with others my age who like me Had been through weekly classes on Sunday afternoons in Lent. The purpose and the end of those classes culminated in my confession of faith on Palm Sunday and my baptism the following week on Holy Saturday. So before the congregation of First Christian Church in Meridian, Mississippi, I stood with my parents as I confessed my faith in Jesus Christ. It was a rite of passage. It was a moment That marked the passing of time, which added to the emotions my parents were experiencing that day. It was the moment when I took responsibility for my own faith, for its nurturing, for its growth, and for the ways in which I would hope my life would reflect this newfound responsibility. All Christians travel this rite of passage. All Christians have this moment in their life. At some point in every person's life in this room, you confessed your belief in your Lord and your God, like Thomas in our gospel lesson today. Now, exactly how that faith was expressed and the action taken to express it varies because most of us are not cradle Episcopalians. So it may have been a confession of faith like mine. It may have been at your baptism it may have been your confirmation with a bishop's hands placed on your head, which usually serves as the Episcopal Church's confession of faith. Whatever that action was, whatever those words expressing your mature statement of faith may have been, that moment is not easily forgotten. And we tend to remember very minute and intricate details of that moment because it is sacred. Perhaps even now, you are recalling the minute and intricate details of that moment. But the sacredness of that moment, when we confessed our belief in Jesus, it is not unlike Thomas' own confession in his belief in Jesus. The sacredness of our confession that Jesus Christ is Lord is captured today, not in Thomas's doubt, but in his belief now, here's where I attempt to do some lawyering. Here is where I attempt to advocate on Thomas's behalf. Here is where I dispute the false accusation against poor old Thomas. Here is where I attempt to end the litigation defaming his character and his reputation. You see, I think Thomas has received the short end of the stick. He is remembered as a doubter, which is quite unfortunate. He is not known as Thomas, but as Doubting Thomas. Now, Peter. Peter denied Jesus three times, and compared to Thomas, his reputation remains relatively unscathed. Nobody refers to him as a denying Peter, but Thomas, poor old Thomas, he has reaped the repercussions of simply wanting to see for himself his risen Savior rather than taking his friend's word for it. If I were in the same situation, I probably would have done the same. But I think it is we, it is all of us, who give Thomas an unfair shake. It is us who give Thomas the short end of the stick. It is we who doubt that are the first to point out Thomas' doubting. But... To focus solely on the doubt today is to miss the whole story. The writer of John's Gospel tells this story today, not because of Thomas's doubt, but because of his belief. History and we remember Thomas infamously, but I believe the writer of John intended something completely different. The writer of John wanted to highlight Thomas's belief that Jesus is Lord and God, not his doubt. The writer of John wanted to tell the story of Thomas' confession of faith, not the story of his doubt. This second Sunday of Easter is about Thomas's belief. This story is about Thomas's belief. This second Sunday of Easter is about our belief. It is about our belief against incredible odds that Jesus Christ really was raised from the dead. It is about our belief that God really does love us so much, so much that he was willing to wear our flesh, live our lives, and die our death so that we will have life. But though we believe, though we believe and though we have confessed that belief, we, like Thomas, are not immune from doubt. If we read the intricate details of this gospel story, we find that Thomas is by far not the only disciple that doubted. If we delve deeper into the details of this gospel story, we unearth the doubt of those other disciples as well. Thomas, he failed to check his Google calendar, so the story says that he was not present with the others for that first gathering. The disciples were gathered together without Thomas, but not as hopeful persons, not as persons who wholeheartedly believed that Jesus had indeed risen from the dead. But they were gathered together as persons who were experiencing deep doubt and fear, the same deep doubt and fear that Thomas was experiencing. Keep in mind, those disciples were locked in a room because they doubted. Keep in mind that those doubts were not cast out, until they too, like Thomas, had seen the risen Lord. Where does doubt come from? It's an interesting question. And for this gospel lesson, it's a poignant question. I think that doubt is born out of fear. Fear was the root of the disciples' doubt. Thomas doubted because he feared. Their master and teacher was handed over by their own people to be executed at the hands of a foreign government. And they feared the same fate because they were Jesus' followers. The doubt that had arisen out of their fear caused them to surround themselves with impenetrable walls and locked doors. However, just as those walls were penetrated by the presence of the risen Christ, so too were their doubts and their fears penetrated and cast out by the presence of the risen Christ. We have confessed our belief in Jesus Christ, but we still doubt. Doubt is innate within our human being. It is innate within our human DNA. It is something that we do, we do often, and we do well. We doubt because we fear. But our doubts and our fears, they too are ready to be cast out by the presence of the risen Christ. If only we should see him in the midst of our fear and doubt, because he is there. So I ask you, Christian, what is it that you doubt? I ask you, Christian, what is it that you fear? What is it, Christian, that causes you, like those disciples, to surround yourself with impenetrable walls and locked doors? Because we all have them. We all have fears. We all have doubts. We are not immune to them. They exist. But today is not about doubt and fear. This Easter season is not about doubt and fear. It is about belief. It is about Thomas' belief. It is about those disciples' belief. It is about our belief. It is about that time in our life when we confess Jesus Christ is our Lord and our God. And since that day, since that sacred moment, Jesus Christ has not abandoned us, even when we doubt and even when we do fear. Even though we have doubts, even though we have fears, we have something stronger than both of those. We have the presence of the risen Christ, and that presence does not go away. So I ask you again, Christian, what do you doubt? What do you fear? And where do you see the presence of the risen Christ in your life? Casting out those doubts and fears, penetrating those walls and locked doors you have surrounded yourself with. Where do you see the presence of the risen Christ in your life? Telling you, telling each of you, To put your finger here and see his hands. Where do you see the presence of the risen Christ in your life? Telling you to reach out your hand and put it in his side.